My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, my sermon title is going to be uh, Relationships, Commandments, and Faithfulness. I'm going to be dipping into all three readings this morning. You may have noticed right at the very beginning, our reading from the Old Testament was from the book of Sirach, which is part of what's considered uh, called the Apocrypha, but it's also called the Deuterocanon. Deutero meaning another, another canon. And I included that reading this morning because we have the option to, in our lectionary, to include readings from uh, from the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanon. And for most Christians, right, around the world, the Deuterocanon or the Apocrypha is considered, it's considered, it's considered scripture. Uh, maybe not so much for the Protestant world, but for the majority of the world's Christians, they have it included. Now, I'm not going to preach about whether we should consider it scripture or not, but I do think that it has some important insights that we need to know, that we can build off of uh, and then get into the epistle and the gospel reading um, from this morning. So in the reading from, from Sirach, sounds very much like Proverbs, right? Which makes this wisdom literature here. It says, uh, do not say because of the Lord I left the right way for he will not do what he hates. Do not say it was he who led me astray for he had no need of a sinful man. It was he who created man in the beginning and left him in the power of his own inclination. If you will, you can keep the commandments and to act faithfully is a matter of your own choice, right? So right here we see immediately something we have to stop and pay attention to. The first thing is we cannot use the Lord as an excuse for sin. We cannot use the Lord as an excuse for sin. And the second thing is we cannot blame the Lord when we fall prey to sin. Do not say it was he who led me astray. These two things are hugely important for us. And I think more Christians should pay attention to this. See, because we believe as Christians that human beings are bent towards sin and sinful inclinations because the sin of our ancestors has left us in the domain and under the power of death. And so there's different ways that we've dealt with the tension that this creates. And I'm not going to get into these different issues. I'm just going to say we cannot and we dare not use the Lord to justify sin. We cannot and dare not blame the Lord when we give in to temptation. Because as this reading reminds us, God has given us our own will. God has given us our own will. Our wills may have been infected by sin. Our wills may have, uh, because of the, the, of the fall, right? We, we believe that our, our wills have been tainted by sin, but we still have them. God has not taken it away from us. I remember there was a, and I'm thinking of this because of the, the reading that we heard from uh, the Gospels, Jesus teaching about divorce. I remember many years ago, there was a pastor in the network that we were part of when I was very young. And he said, 
I'm going to, uh, I'm going to leave my, my wife. And everyone's like, well, no, you can't do that. And he says, no, I'm going to leave my wife because I've met this other woman. God has brought her into my life because, you know, she ministers to my needs better than my wife does. So I'm going to divorce my wife and marry her because God sent her to me. We cannot dare, we cannot, we dare not use the Lord to justify sin. That is sin. We cannot and dare not blame the Lord when we give in to that sort of temptation because any act of sin we cooperate with or participate in has nothing to do with God but has everything to do with us, with our own hearts. Because God has given us the inclination to choose the good. And since we have been given the inclination to choose the good, then we should use what God has given us to choose the good and not the bad. And we see this in Scripture, right? In Deuteronomy, God says, right? Say to the children of Israel, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. And then what does he say? Choose. Joshua gets up, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. The Didache, one of the earliest Christian writings, uses similar language. It talks about the way of life, and it talks about the way of death, and the choices that we have between the two. And then it talks about how both of those play out in our lives. And even the great saints of the church, like St. Athanasius, talks about this in his great work on the incarnation. He talks about, he says, the will of man could turn either way, towards the good or towards the bad. And he says that God did two things, that, that he, he, he set upon us two things, a law and a place. So he gives us a law, he gives us a command, and then he sets us in a place. So he sets us in paradise, and he says the law. And the law is one prohibition, don't do this. And then he says, if we guarded the grace and retained the loveliness of our original innocence, then the life of paradise would be ours without sorrow, pain, or care. But if it went astray and became vile, then they would come under the law of death and live no longer in paradise, but dying outside of it, continue in death and corruption. And this is what happened to us. Humanity. This is where we went wrong. God gives us the inclination to choose and we use his good gift, and we have chosen the evil. But God doesn't just leave us without help. He gives us the law, and he gives us a place. And he gives us one rule. You had one job, Adam, right? By not eating of this tree, right, he's saying, guard the divine grace given to you through your ongoing obedience. And then here's the sphere, here's the place where you live that out. But he disobeyed. But even after that, God does not leave humanity. He gives them the law, the Torah. And the Torah is not meant as a list of rules that we follow. If you want to be saved in the Old Testament, you have to obey all of these laws. And then if you can obey all of these laws and you can earn salvation. That's a very popular and a widespread misunderstanding of what the law was meant to do. The law is meant to encourage ongoing faithful obedience to God out of a heart of love. We've removed that aspect from it. We've removed that aspect from it. 
Following the law was never about doing all of these things to earn something from God. It was faithful obedience to God out of a heart of love for all of his good gifts towards us. Now let's look at the words of Jesus. But before that, I think it's interesting, these words from Sirach, I think that helps us to look at or to, to see how our relationship with God functions. And then here in the words of Jesus in the gospel according to St. Matthew, we see the relationships with one another and how those functions. And he gives a few examples. But before he gets into them, he says this, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. Well, say, well who said that? Well, the law said that given by God to Moses on the holy mountain. Then he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Who or what said that? The law given by God to Moses on the holy mountain said that. And then Jesus says, you have heard it said, whoever, whoever divorces his wife, right? Who said that? The law said that, given by God through Moses. That's not the Ten Commandments, but it was part of the law in Exodus that we see in Leviticus. So we have these sayings from the law, right? Jesus uses them, and then he says, but I say to you. So who gave the law? Well, God gave the law. But Jesus, by saying what he is saying here, he's not saying that God was wrong. He's saying, he's putting himself in the place of God as the lawgiver. He's taking divine prerogatives upon himself because we understand Jesus is God. So if anybody ever says Jesus never says he's God, you can take them here. There are people who say that. Don't listen to them. He doesn't say the law is wrong or bad. In fact, he expands on the law here in, the, in, in Matthew. He intensifies the law. Because the law, as a gift of God's good grace, was, was the means by which human sinfulness could be dealt with, right? So they could live in God's presence. And Jesus' intensification of the law, right? It sounds pretty extreme. If, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, take it out, throw it away. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Where does murder begin? He says, thou shalt not murder. Where does murder begin? In the heart. In the heart. And how is the heart damaged? Through broken relationships. This is why in that passage, Jesus says, if you come to the temple to offer sacrifices and you remember that you have something against your brother, you go and reconcile first before you come and make your sacrifice. And when, where does adultery happen? Where does it begin? But in the heart. And where is the heart damaged? In relationships. As lust takes root and grows into action. And where does divorce begin to form? But in the heart. And how is the heart damaged? Through broken relationship and trust being damaged over and over and over and over again. Relationships. Jesus intensifies this to highlight something very important about relationships.
And we see here in the text, it sounds very harsh, but we see that divorce is a sin because of the Christian view on marriage is so high. Right? Jesus says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Two become one, right? Now, does that mean there is no grace or forgiveness for people who have gone through that? No, that's not what that means at all. There is grace and forgiveness and love by God for that. It's an unfortunate part of life. But we do have to understand that it is a sin. Because it's the, I think, the ultimate cleaving of relationship. And if, and if marriage, right, St. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. If marriage is uh, something that shows us about the love of Christ for his church. Can, Paul says, can anything separate you from the love of God? No. And if marriage is a picture of that, then marriage being ripped apart, I'm saying it might give the impression that maybe we could be ripped apart from the love of God, but we can't. This is why the view of Christian marriage is so high and why the church has spoken so definitively on this question. And we see relationships between each other and even the relationship that we have with ourselves continually on attack in our day and age. Remember what we read earlier? These inclinations that we've talked about are not from God and are to be resisted. And we can, empowered by divine grace given through our incorporation into Christ, we are able to live lives of loving obedience to God. And then lastly, let's look at St. Paul's words. We see the relationships, how it plays out in the church. And in the letter of 1 Corinthians, we see a church in strife. I'm thinking maybe one of these days, well, one of these years, we'll just take a very long time and I'll just preach through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. That'll be a lot of fun. It's a great book. Somebody once told me there needs to be uh, an epistle uh, to the American church, right? Somebody needs to write a new Bible book uh, and, and send it to American Christians. And I responded, we already have it. It's called 1 Corinthians. Because if you go and you read 1 Corinthians, it's almost a perfect picture of some of the, the things that we face, the challenges that we face as Christians in our own day and time. And living together as Christian communities where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We see a church here that has begun to forsake the words of Jesus. We see a church here that has begun to choose what is sinful and assign their justification of their sin to God. Remember what we just heard in the book of Sirach? Don't do that. From the reading we had today, we see that one of the sins that they were dealing with is the sin of factionalism and schism. I am of Apollos, one group says. I am of Peter, another group says. I am of Paul, another group says. And then another group, they're the ones they think that the most spiritual. They say, I am of Jesus. You ever had that friend where you, they're, they're going to do something really dumb? And you're like, please don't do that. And they said, well, I'm going to do this because God told me. You can't talk to those kind of people, right? <laughs> you're like, no, this is very, very bad. You're like, no, God told me it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm, I'm of Peter. Well, I'm in Jesus' group and Jesus trumps all of those guys. So, I can do whatever I want. 
None of these guys, Apollos, Apollos, Peter, or Paul, none of these are the ones who give the increase. He says here in Corinthians that God gives the increase. And God uses whom he wills to accomplish his, 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 his goals. God will use whomever he wills to plant the seed that will be watered that he will cause to grow. And all of this factionalism and schism, Paul says, I cannot feed you with the mature things of God because you're still children. And the thing is about children, sometimes they like to act like they're grown-ups. The other day I was talking to Isaac and I said, who's the dad? And because he was doing something wrong. And I'm like, we make the rules, mom and dad make the rules. Who's the dad? And he goes, I'm the dad. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm the dad. And then he says, no, I am. And then Chante said, why are you arguing with the child? That's, that's what's going on right here in the church in Corinth. But God gives the increase. He uses whom he wills to accomplish what he set out to do. And so the, the goal is, is not in their community and in all other Christian communities is the restoration of the hearts. Because like we said before, the heart is where relationships are damaged. Right, their hearts and our hearts will be replanted by the sowing of the word of God and nourished by the sacraments. Right, all of their posturing and sinful strife flows out of, of, not out of regenerate hearts, but of the flesh. And as St. Paul reminds us in Romans that the flesh wars against the spirit. We are all planted together as a church into a field. We are all constructed together into a building. All of us. And to our new members and to our older members and for people who are considering becoming members here, we all have to remember that we cannot do this alone. We can only grow together. We cannot just grow individually in our own homes. It's not just enough for our relationships to be restored at home with each other, but also here at church. We can't do this alone. We can only grow together. We can only grow together in maturity and we must continue to grow so we never fall to the place where we cannot handle the deep things of God, the mature things of God, that we constantly have to be fed with milk, with milk, with milk, when we have a T-bone steak right over here. I don't know about you, I'd rather eat steak than drink milk. But you can't give steak to a baby. Imagine if I tried to give steak to Sophia when she was a newborn. That would have been a disaster. She probably would have just put it in her mouth and sucked on it. Because she can't chew it and she can't digest it. We're all growing together. And so we constantly have to check those relationships. Our relationship with God. What has God done for us in Christ through his son? He has reconciled us to the Father. And destined us for life with him. Right? And then we have our relationships with one another. Right? Not in the church necessarily. But maybe in our families. In society. In culture. And you know there's another relationship too that God is repairing. Right? Is the relationship that we have kind of in our own hearts with ourselves. Right? We have to know who we are. And one of I think... I think one of the most insidious attacks of the evil one is causing people to doubt 
who God has created them to be, to bring confusion. And then assign that to God. And as we heard from the reading from Sirach, we cannot assign that to God. And then we see the relationship in the church. And I feel like the church is the icing on the cake with the cherry on top. As we all, as those relationships are, are, are being restored with God, interpersonally with one another, and then here as the church, we are all planted, we are all growing together into a field. We are all being constructed into God's building. And maybe, as a call back to last week, that building God's creating, right, is that city on a hill. The light shines forth as a guide, as a light, beckoning others to come, right? Like, like in Pilgrim's Progress, the weight and the burden of sin, to take that, to unloosen the straps, and to put it down at the foot of the cross, and walk into the heavenly city. And to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-creating spirit. Amen.